If you have a Bible, I wish you'd take your Bible and uh, go ahead, and we're going to be talking tonight about some spiritual footprints of Isaac. That's what we're talking about, and that's going to hopefully come up on the screen. And I'm using the screen maybe a little bit more than I would if you had to, if you had a little sheet before you. So I don't know if you bring something to write or how you do that, but be that as it may, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, I was thinking even this afternoon about what we're doing on these Wednesday nights. From my perspective, this is very, very interesting. Thinking about the spiritual footprints that people have left in their life that have made our life hopefully better. And we all know people like that in life. And then in the Bible, of course, we're looking at people that uh, have done that. Now, you, you, now, what makes to me this so interesting is because it's relative, it's significant. And here's why it's significant. Let me see if I can say it the right way. When I was growing up, you know you're getting old when you talk about when I was growing up. But when I was a boy growing up, and even a young man, it seems to me, now this is just my perspective, and, and maybe it won't be yours, but there were many more people in the limelight that were good examples for as a little boy growing up, I would look up to and think, hi, you know, when I, I want to grow up and be like that person. Or, or if, if it's one of our heroes, whatever they do, now you say, well, it doesn't affect me and you. Well, we're, we're up at this age now where, you know, we're kind of just what we are. But now if you'll think back when you were younger, you had people that you looked up to and kind of whatever they did, you thought, man, that's okay. They did that. Now, to me, there's a vast shortage of those people today. And if you'll stop and think a moment, see, here, here's the deal. For our group here, personally, this may not be a big deal. But listen, for children, some of you have children that age, and many of us have grandchildren, and they're looking out here seeing these, quote, heroes, these successful people, and they're seeing them live a lifestyle many times that would not be a good spiritual footprint to follow. Now, let me illustrate. For example, I thought, let me see if I can have some examples that I wouldn't make people throw uh, eggs at me. I thought, well, how about in politics? How would I give a good example of in politics? Well, I think I've come up with a home run. Are you ready for this? If you're a Republican, you're going to be okay. If you're a Democrat, you're going to be okay. Now, forget their political whatever. But I think most of us, whichever side we're on, would look back, for example, on people who've served as president of the United States. And I think most people would say, you know, President Reagan was, was a decent human being. You know, he, uh, he wouldn't embarrass us. And I think, I, I just thought, you know, children would hear him talk and that kind of, And then over on the other side, I, let me get on the Democrat side, uh, Jimmy Carter. Now, whether he was a great president or wasn't a great president, I'm not getting into that. Who am I to know? History will judge all that. But, I mean, Jimmy Carter, when he was president of the United States, taught a Sunday school class every single Sunday if he was in Washington. And, you know, I don't think anybody would have been embarrassed. Now, there have been others. And then, you know, I, I think of like in sports, 
in the sports world. Boy, how it has changed. Like, for example, good, a good role model for boys and girls. Now, they wouldn't even know who I'm talking about today. Coach Tom Landry. Now, he was a born-again believer. He was saved when he was grown, and he, was, he loved to share his salvation testimony. In fact, on Sunday morning when he was head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, if Dallas was playing at home, he and Ms. Landry would go to the Highland Park uh, Methodist Church where they were members. They would go to the early service. And then after that service, he'd drive on over to Cowboy Stadium. And so, you know, he, he, he was a great example. And there are others, there are others like that. I, I was thinking about like Kurt Warner, Reggie White, Joe Gibbs, Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy and JB, every Thursday afternoon, they have some deal where they get on the phone and they have a group of athletes just all over the country and they all get on the phone and Tony Dungy has a Bible lesson on the telephone for all these people that are in the sports world that look up to him. He's a great, great example. And then one that used to not be a good example that got became a believer is Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders, you know, he went from one direction to the other direction and he is a genuine born-again believer that just loves to share his salvation experience. And then, of course, Tim Tebow, and there are many, many others we could name. But while we are naming these folks, I mean, the, the, the professional sports world doesn't have as many, it doesn't seem to me, great examples to follow as it used, as it used to have. And then in entertainment, the entertainment world. <laughs> Boy, how, but then I was thinking, well, there are some really outspoken. Patricia Heaton would be a great example of a, a fact. John, are you still trying to get her here to speak? Yeah, you just, you were in, you were in contact. John, I told John, I said, if you get Patricia Heaton here to speak, of course, John, I've tried to explain to him only people in the upper age of life are going to know who Patricia Heaton is. But anyway, John, you know, wasn't she on Everybody Loves Raymond? Yeah. Can you get Raymond to come? Is he a born? He can, no, I didn't know. Well, anyway, uh, Chuck Norris. Now, there's a born-again believer. I mean, he's a bold witness for Christ. And then Kathy Lee Gifford, that'd be another bold witness for Christ. So we can name some of these people, but the point that I make is, while we're naming these people, our, our kids are growing up seeing a, a very different picture, and it makes a big difference. And so, now, these people I've named that are all good role models, but none of them were perfect. And as we look at the people in the Bible, none of them are perfect. And the one we're going to look tonight is a great one to follow in his footprints. That is Isaac. And so I want you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter number 17. And I want to read some verses tonight, and I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. I decided, hey, I'm going to read, I'm going to read more Scripture than normal, and, and I think it will be easier to follow if you have whatever your translation may be. Now, remember, Genesis chapter 17, just when, when somebody ever says Genesis chapter 17, like a bell should go off in your brain. That is the chapter where God changed the name of Abraham, and he changed the name of Sarah. So like some things, like if you say Genesis chapter 22, and we'll be there in a few minutes. Genesis chapter 22, that's where Abraham offered Isaac. Genesis chapter 12, where God called Abraham. So I want to encourage you. Now, you don't have to know what every chapter in the book of Genesis is, but there are some key chapters, like the fall of man, the creation, 
the call of Abraham, these things. I mean, these are key, key chapters, and we're in one of them tonight uh, in chapter 17. Now, chapter 17, verse 1, the Bible says, and I'm going to read it just like it's printed, but from henceforth tonight, I'm going to refer to Abram as Abraham all the way, okay? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called, shall be Abraham. Now, the name Abram, if you're taking notes, simply means exalted father. And the name Abraham means father of many. So God's changed his name, and the meaning is somewhat different. He says, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you in the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan. Now this, you talk about something that's relevant in today's world. Here, here you go. God has just given here all the land of Canaan to his descendants. And so we're talking about what will be the Hebrew people as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male in your generation who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah anymore, but Sarah shall be her name. Now you say, well, what is the difference in that? Well, bo both mean princes. Probably the idea is, um, you know, they were in Ur, and it was the, the way it was said in Ur and the way God wants it said now is, is the difference. So the meaning does not really change at all. He said, I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety-nine years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, 
Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, Abraham's kind of coming up with a, with a, with a plan B. He, he doesn't grasp plan A. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, if you're an underliner in the Bible, you ought to underline, here's, here's the, the appearance of Isaac. Isaac comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 17, and uh, it's his first mention. And God named him before he was born. In fact, he, he's, he's talked about in the Bible before he ever existed. He said, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Now, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him uh, fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Uh, he shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Well, so we've got, you know, Abraham wanted to work out the plan that Ishmael was going to be the one. And God said, no, no, that's not going to be the plan. And, of course, Ishmael is where we get the Arab world. And, you know, what we're seeing even now in Israel, um, it's all about the land. The whole thing is about the land. It's very, very confusing. And, you know, God gave the land to the Hebrew people. And then, of course, uh, you have the Arabs there. And, and, of course, then you have the Palestinians. And what we are watching on TV and all this stuff we're seeing is, you know, the, the whole deal is, is uh, you know, the Palestinians think it's their land. And, and uh, the, Jew, the, the Jewish people think it's their land. And, and if you've been there, you know, even in the old city, you've got to, You've got the Christian quarters and the Jewish quarters and the, and the Muslim quarters. And, I mean, everybody's just in a turmoil over the land, and it's a very complex issue. But, you know, let, let me just say this, like this is my own heart. I, I am for Israel. There's no question of that. But that doesn't mean that I should hate the Palestinians. Listen, our, our guides and our recent trips have been Palestinian Christians, uh, the man that owns Quest Church, I talked to him yesterday. Uh, he is a Palestinian, but he's a Christian. And so all, all Palestinians are not terrorists. Hamas, which is down in Gaza, you know, they, they're the terrorist group. And the Hezbollah, which is up on the northern end, and they're, they're firing rockets from Syria over to Israel. But their, their rockets are not landing. They're, they're, they're not making it across to the land. And then, of course, back down in Gaza, uh, you know, their stuff is, is landing all over the place. And, you know, uh, we just need to pray. Uh, we need to pray for peace in that region of the world. I think we'd agree on that, do we not? But I, I want to encourage you, don't get in your mind that, that every Palestinian is a terrorist. That is just not true. Um, that they, they, you know, and, and we need to, even though we believe the land belongs to, to Israel, to the Jewish people, now, of course, they've, they've deeded over land, and then they have treaties, and they take back land. We could spend forever on all that, but yet God loves everybody, 
and, and, and God, you know, Dr. Kendall, uh, on two or three occasions, got into Gaza City and was able to have, uh, he built a friendship with, with Arafat and shared Christ with Arafat. And I think you've heard Dr. Kendall say that, that he wished he could say he believes Arafat became a Christian, but he says, I'm, I'm not sure he did. I'm not sure he didn't. But he did have the opportunity on two or three occasions to have lengthy meetings with him uh, in Gaza because he had such a heart that that man needed the Lord. Folks, everybody needs the Lord. Could I have an amen to that? And so that's, that's kind of our heart. But let us get back to our Bible study here. Now, Isaac. So here's the time, first time. Let me just give you some little thoughts about Isaac. You may want to mark some of them in your Bible. First of all, in his early years, we know very, very little. I'll give you one thing we do know. If you look in chapter 21 in verse 4, uh, it says Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. So one of the things we know about Isaac when he was a young boy is, is, is he was circumcised. But yet, when you read the story of Isaac, one of the obvious things is Isaac is a person that somewhat lived in the shadow of his father, Abraham, and one of his sons, Jacob. I mean, you know, when you think about, we think about the, the main event people in the Bible, we, you know, it's Abraham, Isaac, but, but, but Isaac had a real place. In fact, he was, the, he was the second of the patriarchs of Israel. He's the only son, listen to this, of, of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham had other sons, but not by Sarah. He's the only son uh, that came from their union. And then, of course, you know, he's the father of Esau and Jacob. And then if you turn over in chapter 35, I thought you might just like to mark this. In chapter 35, we read about the end of his life. In fact, let's just look at it real quickly. Turn over in chapter 35 and go down with me in verse number, uh, verse number, uh, verse number 28. It says, now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Even though they had an issue between them, they came back and buried their father. If you, if you remember in Genesis chapter 25, verse 8, if you, you, if you want to read that later, it almost word for word says the same thing about how Abraham, his father, died. You come over in chapter 35, and it says the same thing. Now, you may want to just make a note, because I want to show you the significance. God's the divine author of this book. And we mentioned last week that Abraham, in chapters 12 through 25, you read about Abraham. And, uh, you know, that's 14 chapters. Now, Isaac, uh, you read about Isaac, in chapter 17, which we just read from a moment ago, all the way to ch up in chapter 35 till he died. Now, that, that's 19 chapters. So, actually, Isaac has more chapters than Abraham. Now, I didn't, count the, I didn't count the verses, and I didn't count the words, so I'm not saying he had more print, but he has a lot of print, and he's a very significant person in, in the Bible. And we learn a lot of good things from him. Now, what I want to do, I want to give you what I think is the main lesson that we learn from Isaac. And here's what it is. God provides. 
when you think about Isaac, and there are many good things we can say about Isaac, but when you get them all said, and every one of them, they would wind up being a bullet under the heading God provides. So when I think about Isaac, I'm reminded that God provides. Now let's very quickly, in the little time we have, do what we can with that. First of all, God provides a sacrifice for our sins. Now turn with me in chapter 22. And I wish we had time to read all this, but we really don't. But I'll just highlight it. Now you know what chapter 22 is all about. Uh, chapter 22 is, is where Abraham offered or was willing to offer his son Isaac on the sacrifice and God stopped him from doing that but I want you to look in chapter 22 and I want you to show you something in verse number nine now there at the altar and and that's no question that's the big story of Genesis chapter 22 but in the big story Isaac is part of this big story <laughs> his father is fixing to bind him on this altar, and thinks he's going to slay him. And you know how that worked out. But look in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar and placed the wood on the altar. And he bound, that is, he tied, he strapped Isaac, his son, to the altar upon the wood. And then, of course, he stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay him. The angel Lord said, no, stop. But, he, but here's something maybe you've never thought about. Bible scholars say, and you can kind of count it up and land, at this point, Isaac would have been at least 20 years of age. I think oftentimes we think Isaac's some little kid, and he held on to Abraham's No, no. <laughs> his son was at least 20 years of age. And as I read that, I think to myself, now if I were 20 years of age or even a little older, and my daddy was going to lay me up on an altar and tie me down, and, and I'd figure out I was the sacrifice myself, I think I would have fought back. I would have resisted. But here's the point. You don't read any of that in the Scripture. I'm not trying to read anything in the scripture that's not there but I don't want to ignore what is there so I think there's a great great lesson here uh, and of course God God provided uh, the sacrifice in the ram that was over in the thicket but but and, and of course Isaac is an Old Testament type of Christ and, and you you've heard that now when we get into typology well that'd be a sermon of itself but uh, in the Old Testament, there are places and things that are types of things in the New Testament. And, and here's a great example. I mean, I don't think anybody would, would say you're, you're pushing too far to say that, that here's a picture. Abraham the father offering his son Isaac on the altar and then later on Mount Moriah and later on Mount Calvary, God the father offered his son so that there is a parallel with that and there are many other old testament types now sometimes i think maybe people invent types that aren't there but but here's one that is obviously there and you know as i think about that and say what do you learn from that well god provided god provided uh, the ram over in the thicket for you and for me god provided uh, the lamb of god on on not from a thicket but on mount calvary but but you know as i think about as i think about isaac being uh, he was not the sacrifice I, i'm reminded 
uh, you and I, we're not the sacrifice. Like our good works is not the sacrifice that's going to pay for our sins. The church is not the sacrifice. Uh, baptism is not the sacrifice. No, 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 none of that. Uh, Christ is the sacrifice. And so when I think of Isaac and think of following his footprints, I think about, you know, he teaches a great lesson. God provides and what a blessed thing he provides for our sins. But not only that, he provides for every need that we have. That's another, that's another footprint he leaves. And if you turn over in chapter 24, and now this is a great chapter. It's a long chapter. And uh, I would encourage you, it would be a fun chapter, maybe on the rest of this rainy night to read, or maybe tomorrow sometime. But it's a, it's a fantastic chapter. Because in this chapter, it's interesting. You see God meeting the need Abraham had. You see God meeting the need that Isaac had. You see God meeting the need that his uh, elder uh, servant had. And you see God meeting the need that Rebekah had. This is a chapter, you know, where uh, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And, of course, Rebekah turns out to be that wife. And as you read the chapter, you see God providing for every need. Abraham, what was his need? His need was to get, a, get the right wife for his son. All right? That was the need, and God met the need. This elder servant that he sent, uh, what was his need? Well, he really had two needs. One, he prayed a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer he prayed. Uh, and not only that, his mission was to bring back a wife. And, and God met both needs. He prayed the prayer, and God answered the prayer exactly like he prayed it. And then his mission was accomplished just like that need had been met. And then, of course, for Isaac, you know, what was his need? Well, his need was a wife, and his need was comfort. You remember his mother had just died, and he was very, he was very, very sad about that. And, uh, and God, in a very special way, uh, God... God met that need in a beautiful, beautiful way. In fact, if you look in chapter 24 and go all the way over to verse, at the end of the chapter, verse 67, you see God meeting Isaac. See, then Isaac, that's when they brought Rebekah back, brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He was very broken about his mother's death. And, of course, now uh, his, uh, Rebecca meets that need for him as well. And so that, that whole chapter is about God providing for the different needs. And I just say this and move on. In your life, in my life, I've seen that. In my, my, my journey, I've seen God meet the needs of our church every time we had a need. And I've seen God do that not only in the church. I've seen God do that in the lives of people. I've seen God do that in my own family's life. I've seen God do that in my own life. And you've done the very same thing. We need to remind that God meets our need. And no chapter in the Bible shows God meeting needs better than this chapter does in the life and the work of, 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 of Isaac. Now, we need to remember this. God meets needs, listen carefully, in his time. You know, God's arithmetic is different than our arithmetic. Just, just tuck that away somewhere. You know, God's ways and our ways are not the same. So God's going to meet our needs in his time and in his way. And, I, and Isaac was trying to get God to meet a need in a, in a, in a, 
Abraham was with, with Ishmael. And God said, no, 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 that's, that's not the way. That's, you've come up with that plan, but that's not my plan. No, here's my plan. It's through Isaac. Well, number three, God provides. Now, here's, here's an interesting thought, and I won't be able to develop it very much, but I'll give you enough information. If you're interested, you can pursue it. Uh, God provides opportunities in disguise. It's got to be a better way to say that. But if you think about it long enough, that's a good way to say it. God provides needs in disguise. Now you say, well, where do you come? Well, look in chapter 26, verse 1. It says, there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, Abimelech king of the Philistines. And he said, then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. See, there was a famine. You go to Egypt, get something to eat. He said, live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And look what it says. So Isaac dwelt right there where God told him to dwell. And look how it worked out. Verse 12, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering. He became very prosperous for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great numbers of servants. And of course, the Philistines, they envied him. But the point is, back in chapter 26, verse 1, it looked like the opportunity would be to get out of that place and go to Egypt. There was a famine. But see, that the opportunity was in disguise. God said, no, you stay right here. And here's going to be the place of blessing. Then, as you read on in this chapter, you remember, you remember the story how they, the Philistines had filled up the wells that Abraham and his people had dug. And Isaac went and his group, they, they dug all that out and opened the wells up again. And then they'd go dig some more wells. And then the group, the Philistines, come cover those wells up. And finally they moved somewhere else and dug a well. And, and then there got to be a fuss about whose well that was and whose water that was. Now, now, <laughs> now that was an opportunity in disguise. And you say, well, well what do you mean in disguise? Well, I mean, you have to, as you read the chapter, think how how he responded. He, he didn't retaliate. He, he, he never did do that. He responded in the right way. Uh, he opened some wells. He dug some new wells. But the, the, the good thing is, if you look down in verse 28, here, here's, here's what happens when you do it God's way. After all that fussing about whose wells they were, they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So he had an opportunity in disguise to do what? To be an example. To show that God was with him. To conduct himself in a way instead of having a fight about the wells. He just moved on, dug another well. And then they quarreled about that. He'd move on, dug another well. And finally the thing resolved itself. Now, to me... As I think about Isaac, I think about, you know, in all of our lives, there are wells that need to be opened. 
and there's some other wells that need to be dug. And I think if we want to follow in Isaac's footprints, here would be the one, two, three that I get out of this whole thing. Number one, if you want to follow in Isaac's footprints, obey what God tells you to do. That'll always be the right thing to do. If God in his word or his spirit confirms to you, this is what you're to do. You do what God says to do. Number two, rather than retaliate, he never did retaliate. Let God work things out. That's always the way of Isaac. Rather than retaliate, let God work things out. And then number three, and this is something very practical that we can work at every day. As we go through each day, go through each day handling things in a way that others would see God in you. So that's kind of the one, two, three for me on old Isaac. Obey what God tells you to do. Don't retaliate. Let God work things out. He'll work them out. And try, ask God every day, God, help me today as I journey through this day that that my words and my ways and my actions and my reactions, that people would see the very same thing they said. We've certainly seen that the Lord is with you.